So last night we were talking about love, right? The sacrificial love that Jesus had. And so, and what, and how he demonstrated that to us by, by elevating and cherishing and pursuing uh, us and a relationship with us so that, that we can have relationship with God. Tonight we are going to jump into Ephesians 5. And we are talking tonight mainly to the men in the room and what it looks like to be a, a man of God, a leader in, in, this, in our culture and in our, in our families today. Tomorrow night, Sarah will do the majority of the teaching, speaking to the ladies in the room. So, chapter 5 starts out this way. Paul opens up chapter 5 this way. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So Paul starts out chapter 5, framing it in love. The same love that he that we were talking about last night, that sacrificial love that Christ had for us. So God desires, God desires our obedience, right? And so in that, we are, to, we are also to be loving. And so when we love the way Christ loved, it allows us to be the man or woman that God created us to be and fulfill the purpose that, we, that he designed for our lives. So as we look at this, I want to start with a picture. So give me some feedback. What is this guy doing? What is he? A shepherd, right? So what does a shepherd do? What does a shepherd do for his flock? He takes care of them. How does he take care of them? What does he do? He feeds them, make sure they have food, protects them. Yep. He leads them. So as he does that, as he leads them, he's got to set a pace to do that. So what would the characteristics of a shepherd be? If you were going to hire somebody to take care of your sheep, what type of characteristics would you want them to have? Diligent, patient, dependable, courageous, responsible, and care about sheep, yes, yes. You'd want them to, to be very observant to what was going on because they'd have to have that, that love for them. So let's look at how this is going to apply to us as men, for us to be shepherd leaders. Ephesians 5.23 says this, For a husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is head of the church, his body, and himself its Savior. So Paul puts out here that we are to be the head of our family. Now, when I hear the word head in today's language, that doesn't necessarily mean a good thing. It can sometimes mean that something harsh, maybe a boss, but that's not what Paul was intending. Paul was intending that we would be a lover, a provider, or a protector. So this is our our calling. This is our calling into leadership, which makes me ask the question of what kind of leader. As a young man, when I was growing up, I was uh, in a family with uh, where we owned our own business, and we had friends that owned their businesses, and so it made me take notice to what type of leaders these men were how they led their, their companies, how they led their employees. And so one of them, a good friend of ours, a family friend, he had a machine shop in town. When I was in high school, he said, why don't you come up and work for me? I've got some jobs that I would like you to do. And, and so I needed money, so I thought that was a great thing. So I went up there, and he showed me all of the, all the stuff that I could do, and mainly it was just sweeping and cleaning up machines, a little bit of deburring some of the pieces that they were making. But 
after he showed me what he'd like me to do, he said, Jesse, he says, I want you to look around at all the guys in the shop. He says, I want you to know not one of them works for me. They all work with me, including you. Now, as a young kid who really didn't know anything about what was going on in that shop, how do you think that made me feel? I was important. I was now part of a team. And so that was, that was an amazing feeling, an amazing opportunity that I had to be part of this team to, to complete the projects that were there. So this picture depicts two different types of leaders. You see a boss at the top and a leader at the bottom. So describe to me the boss. What would, what would he be like? What, what would his characteristics be? How would he sound? Demanding. A dictator. Controlling. Driving. Uh-huh. He adds to their burden. Yes. So... So what would this guy down here in the bottom, what would the leader, what would he be like? He'd be a servant. What else? A team member. An example. He sets their direction. He would be involved. So if this, if, if this guy, if, he, if something went wrong... Where would he put the blame? He'd put it on himself, wouldn't he? If, the, if something went really well, where would he send the praise? To everybody. The whole team would get it, right? So, so he, would, he would build trust in them because they would know that he has their back. The, the biggest difference between these two leaders is the leader on the bottom, he's going to have the hearts of the people. They'll probably both accomplish the job. But the one on top is not going to have the hearts of those that he is leading. So shepherds, they, they provide direction and pace for their flock, right? So that they can provide and protect for the whole flock. So how is this going to apply for us as husbands and fathers? We need to first start, set the direction in our family. When Sarah and I first got married, shortly thereafter, we went to a, a conference, and there was a guy there that was talking about setting direction for your family and making plans, and he put out there that I should may have a 200-year plan for my family. Now, you remember, on our differences list, I'm spontaneous, right? Plans for me, if it was five years out, seemed like an eternity, if it was 20 years out, I thought that, 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 wasn't even, that wasn't even on my radar. He's saying 200 years. I thought, what in the world? Like, I, there is no way I can even fathom thinking that far out. Now, something happened a few years later. We had children. So as I'm holding my oldest, I'm thinking, what do I want him to be? I need a plan. So I need to set a direction for my family. So God's calling on our life is that we are to make disciples, right? So how am I going to take this young child and turn him into a disciple maker? And now I don't want him to just become a disciple maker. I want him to raise disciple makers himself. And so I now created a long-term plan because I wanted my grandchildren 
to raise their children to become disciple makers. So now that gives me a direction that I want to go so I know how I'm going to raise my son to raise his children. So I set the direction. The next thing we need to do is set a pace. So I told you I like, to, I like motorsports, right? Well, my main motorsport that I like to do is snowmobiling. I love to ride in the mountains. I've ridden in the North Woods up here in Wisconsin and in the UP and Minnesota. But I, once I found the Rocky Mountains, sorry, I haven't been back this direction. It is, has anybody ever rode out there? Uh, yep, yep, couple. All right. So it's a lot of fun. So I love to do backcountry riding, and it didn't take long, and I've, people found out that I was able to lead people into the backcountry off trail and get them back out again safely, and so I started having lots of people contact me to lead them out into the woods. Now, I never got paid for this. This was just great fun. But we rode in conditions like this. So we're in about two foot of fresh snow. Uh, that's my friend there. He, uh, he got a little hung up. I don't know what, what happened, but he ended up on his side. My snowmobile's in the background. It's not stuck. It's actually the snow is that deep. And so there's two to three feet of fresh snow that we're riding in, and it's amazing time. So a good day for me. I considered it a good day when everybody in my group had been stuck at least once, and so we could then go home. But this one trip that I had, a friend of mine came out and brought his wife. First day we rode, everything went pretty good. Second day we went out, and it was about time to to be headed out of the mountains. It was middle of the afternoon, because you don't want to be out there off trail after dark. And so I was heading out, and I got a call on the radio that, uh, for the sake of the story, I'm going to say her name is Mary. She's fallen off her snowmobile. She's laying there, and she's not responding. That's a bad situation. So I turned around, ran back there, and I looked at my friend, and I'm like, anything? He's like, he didn't know. So I went over, and I went down by her, and I squatted down, and her eyes were open. I said, you need to look at me. So she did. I said, you need to tell me what's wrong. She says, that's it. She says, I'm done. I've had enough. Just leave me here to die. Now, we did get her out that day. We got some food into her and some water. And with a lot of work, we were able to get her out because she couldn't handle riding her own snowmobile. But she never came back and rode with me again. You know what I learned? I set a pace that was so far above where she was at that she couldn't handle it. I treated everybody in the group as being equal when they were not. As spiritual leaders, we need to set a spiritual direction for our family, a direction and a, pr- and a pace. This is the logistics to, to make this happen. 1 Peter 2, 2 and 3 says this, Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up in salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. We need to spiritually feed our families at the level at which they are at. My five-year-old will not be able to do what my 12-year-old can. 
will not be able to do what my wife can. When you think about an infant, what happens if you start feeding an infant too fast? They choke, right? Now, if you take that same baby, and as it grows up a little bit more, but you put that very first nipple from the bottle in, and you try to feed them, what happens? They get frustrated, don't they? They can't get any milk. They can't get what they want. So we need to make sure that we are feeding at the speed and at the pace that they are ready to receive it. Because if we feed too fast, they're going to choke on it and they're going to say, this is way over me, I'm not interested. If we do it too slow, they're going to say, this is boring. We need to be, be able to provide as spiritual leaders for our family. We need to physically provide for, for our families. First Timothy 5.8 says this, But if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially members of his own household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So the Bible makes it really clear. We need to be providers. So beyond physical things, men, this is now a, a question just for the men. What beyond physical things do you need to provide for your family? Give me some feedback. Presence. Support. Guidance. Love. Stability. Time. Excellent. Those are all excellent things. We need to be there for our families. We need to provide for them emotionally. My girls, they need that time to cuddle. They want to come up into dad's lap and sit down and be hugged and just sit there and just be in my arms. My boys, they they need time to talk through hard things at times. I've got to be there for them for that, to give that guidance. We need to provide spiritual fulfillment and Bible at their level. And we need to take time to pray with our families. We need to protect our families. So as spiritual leaders, we need to be ready for the physical dangers, right? And when I think of the, a shepherd leader, I think of David. And I think of the story from 1 Samuel 17. Very common story. It's David and Goliath. David's father, Jesse, sends him to the front lines because he wants to know what's going on. News media was a little slow back then, right? So he gives a little food and says, here, you go. Find out what's going on. See how your brothers are doing. What does he find when he gets there? He finds a giant that everybody's afraid of. And he's like, why is nobody fighting this? This Philistine, why not? If you're not going to do it, maybe I should do it. Well, the... The soldiers then are like, all right, well, if you want to go do it, sure. So they take him to Saul, right? And so take him to the king and say, all right, this kid says he wants to go fight the giant. Saul says, that's crazy. You can't do that. You're just a boy. And David's response is this. Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and I struck him and delivered him out of the mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by the beard, struck him, and killed him. 
Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. For he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Wow. Is anybody ready to take on a bear or a lion? I'm not. I know what, it, I know what it's like to meet a bear on a trail. Man, I want to go the other way, right? So are we ready to protect our families, though? Are we ready to do this? We have the power of the living God in us to do this. We have a war going on inside of our homes. Right now, men. So what do we need to do? We need to be ready for the spiritual battle. So as Paul is closing out Ephesians, he's gone through and he he has laid out what it looks like to be a husband, to be a wife, to to be a, a servant, to be a master. What it looks like for the church to be unified. And so after he closes out and talks about all of that, he says, be on guard. In Ephesians 6, he says, you need to clothe yourself with what? Spiritual armor. Because you have a battle coming your way. And it's big. So men, we need to read. We need to pray. We need to be on guard. Because that that is coming. Sarah's going to come up now, and she's going to to give a word uh, to the women. So ladies, this is a big job that God has given your husbands, isn't it? And so I just want to talk a little bit about how we can help our husbands in this role that God has given them. And so the first thing I would say is that we need to support them. Now support means to take sides with. So we can either be on our husband's side or we can be against him. And we know if there is opposition, then things really don't usually go anywhere, especially if it's really good opposition, right? And let's be honest, we can be really good opposition to our husbands because we know them inside and out. We know their weaknesses. We know the things that uh, set them off, the things that wear them down, and we know their breaking point. And so if we're using these things against our husbands, then we're not helping them to be the good leader that they're trying to be for, like Jesse would be trying to be for myself and for our kids And so we need to make sure that we are supporting them in this. And also, we are meant to be a strong supporter of her husband. Jesse needs to know that I'm here for him. I've got his back. No matter what happens, he can always depend on me. Another thing that is important, I think, is that we need to make sure that we are being an encourager to our husband. Now, some people are natural encouragers. I, unfortunately, am not. That is not a natural thing that comes to me. I actually have a pretty critical spirit. Um, So I struggle with judging and criticism and sarcasm. And so if Jesse is trying to lead our family and do a good job in that, the last thing that he needs is my critical spirit. And so I have to make sure that I am on guard and not using that against him, but encouraging him instead. 
And, you know, we can often be our own worst critic, right? We don't need somebody else to tell us we're doing a bad job. We already know when we're not doing as well as we would like to or things going as well as we hope they would. And so Jesse, you know, he's naturally hard on himself when things don't go exactly how he was planned. So I have to make sure that I am encouraging him in those times. So our job is to affirm the good that our husband is doing. So we need to express appreciation when they're doing things that we appreciate, right? The things that we're thankful for them doing. Make sure we verbalize that to them. We also need to encourage them. We need to encourage them when they're doing good in things and also the things they're struggling in. We need to make sure we're encouraging them. And, you know, you might say, wow, that's, that's really hard. That might be a really hard thing for you to do because of the relationship you might have. It may not come naturally to you. But I would encourage you to start with even just one word of encouragement a day. It will change your marriage completely. So please try that. Please work on that. And some of you might say, you know, these are great things, Sarah. But, you know, my husband, he's not interested in leading us. That's not something that um, he wants to do. And so the thing that I would tell you then is to pray. Pray that God will work in him and God will change his heart. Now, Me, I'm a task-oriented person. I like to fix things. And I have to remind myself, I am not my husband's Holy Spirit. That is God's place. So we need to pray that God will change their heart. God will um, give them desire to take on this leadership role. We need to be diligent in prayer for them. And even if your husband is already doing a good job, being a leader, I mean, that's wonderful, that's great, but we still need to be in prayer for them. We need to pray for these things. That he will lead in the direction that God desires for your family. That is so important. I need to pray that God will give Jesse wisdom to help us with our sin struggles. I have my own sin struggles, and each of my five kids have their own sin struggles. And so I need to pray that God will give Jesse the wisdom to be able to help us in those areas so we can continue to improve in those struggles. Also, the strength to do the tough things. If we're living as Christians in this world... We're not going to be going the same path as the world all the time. And that's going to make, um, you're going to have to make some difficult decisions. And so we need to pray that they will have the strength to be able to do that. And also to trust in God's plan. So a friend um, gave me this example. It's one that I will never forget. So this is a picture of a chrysalis. It is a hard, smooth covering. And it's a safe place where a caterpillar changes into a butterfly. It is a place that protects, it provides warmth, and it's a place that allows the caterpillar to become what God created it to be. And so this is a picture of what our marriage should look like. Our marriage should be a safe place for our husbands. It's a place that they can come and they know that they won't be mocked or judged by us. It's a place they know that they are loved and they can come back to be filled up. The days, they can be struggle and they can wear you out. And so to be able to come back to your marriage and be that place where you can be filled up each day is so important. It's also a place where we need to make sure that we're showing grace and mercy to our husbands. And this is also a place we can encourage them in this leadership role that God has given them. So this world that we live in, it's tough enough. So let's make sure we're walking alongside our husbands and supporting them and encouraging them and praying for them. Thank you, Sarah.
So, men, as spiritual leaders, we're not perfect. I'm not perfect. Do I do what I just talked about really, really well? No. No, I need to hear this as much as anybody. So, quote from Winston Churchill is this, The success is the ability to go from one failure to another with no loss of enthusiasm. So when I make a mistake, when I mess up, when I don't do what I'm supposed to and provide for my family like I should, I got to do my best to make it right and to move on and get up and go the next day. The great thing is God does not require perfection. It's such a blessing, isn't it? But what he wants is for us to have a pure heart that chases after him. So that we are just walking and setting a direction that we can follow chasing after God. Leading our family in that way. <clears throat> Ephesians 5.25 says this, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. This is our command. This is our command to, for us as husbands is to love our wives with that same sacrificial love that we talked about last night. We are to do that for our wives. That's how we are to love them. For your life in action challenge tonight, it's this. Before you go to bed, man, I'm going to ask you to pray with your wives. Some of you are going, whoa, Jesse, I don't do that. I don't pray out loud. That's more than I, I'm, I do. I just don't. I'm not articulate. So I'm going to make it really easy for you. Say this. Take her hand and simply say, God, thank you for my wife. Amen. That's it. Start with that. Now, some of you are going, well, I want a little faster pace, right? Give me a faster pace. All right, so you ready for this? Ask her this. What can I do to help you feel more loved and cherished? Ask that question and then pray with her. What she says, lift that up to the Lord so that you know how you can then work with her and ask God to help you in that. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this day, for this time. Lord, I thank you I thank you for my wife. Lord, I pray that, uh, that as we, as men, as we look to lead our family, as our, our children, our wives, Lord, I pray that your spirit in us would help direct us, would help guide us. Lord, that we can stay on a path that is chasing after you. Lord, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.